This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, March 8, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder has laid out the circumstances under which the U.S. can execute American citizens abroad without trial. Unfortunately, Holder's defense of these assassinations depends on an entirely new definition of due process. Julian Sanchez, a research fellow at the Cato Institute, comments. Even before the government uh, killed radical cleric Anwar al-Awlaki, it was an open secret that this administration was asserting the right and the authority to order the killing, the targeted killing, of Americans overseas that it believed were allied to al-Qaeda or other terrorist groups. And earlier this week, Attorney General Eric Holder uh, did us the favor of laying out, at least in part, the conditions under which the government believes it is entitled to kill Americans abroad. I say in part because conspicuously, Holder said that the government could target the assassination of Americans at least under the following conditions. He insisted, of course, that these weren't really assassinations because even though they look in every other way exactly like assassinations, assassinations are unlawful killings that we don't engage in. And so by definition, because these are lawful, they must not be assassinations. Uh, But at least under conditions that have been for some time public because they were reported in the New York Times, uh, the president may order uh, the targeted killing or assassination, if you prefer, of Americans abroad. Uh, And it sounds on face, uh, not totally unreasonable. Uh, It says uh, a senior operational leader of al-Qaeda or associated forces, whether a force is associated, I suppose, is to be determined by the executive branch, uh, who is actively engaged in planning to kill Americans. Um, And that person can be targeted uh, if the U.S. government has determined after a thorough and careful review that the individual poses an imminent threat of violent attack against the United States, capture is not feasible, uh, and the operation would be conducted in a manner consistent with uh, the laws of war. Uh, And so that sounds like it places some limitations on the government, but uh, that, that really turns out to be illusory once you look more closely at what is meant there. Um, when does an individual pose an imminent threat? Well, Holder is careful to explain that it doesn't mean uh, that, in fact, there is a specific attack uh, that is coming soon, that is imminent in any normal sense, um, that it's about to happen and they're sure about it. Um, Actually, he says that an imminent threat incorporates considerations of the relevant window of opportunity to act. So the threat is imminent in a sense if you think someone is planning attacks uh, and this is the last opportunity you think you have to get them, whether or not, in fact, there's a specific attack that you think is imminent. Um, As as Holder explains, uh, the Constitution does not require the president to delay action until some theoretical end stage of planning when the time, place, and manner of an attack are clear. Um, So imminent threat doesn't actually have to be imminent. Uh, So another condition is that capture is not feasible. What does that mean? Uh, Who determines whether capture is feasible? That is, again, the executive branch in its own assessment determines that capture is infeasible. Um, He also suggests that uh, other conditions include either that we have the consent of the country where the target is located um, or the country where the government is located is unwilling or unable to uh, get the target themselves. So... The conditions basically are either that 
we have the approval of the country where the person is located or we don't have the approval or the assistance of the country where the person is located. Uh, I think maybe most spectacularly, um, we heard the attorney general suggest that this was not in any way incompatible with the uh, right of Americans to due process of law before they can be punished, let alone killed. Uh, because judicial process is not uh, required, it's due process. Due process doesn't necessarily mean judicial process. So uh, we have a, a wonderful new mechanism, I suppose, for um, testing whether the constitutional requirement of due process is, uh, is being satisfied. Uh, we just define due process now as an assessment within the executive branch. This is a dangerous policy that creates the illusion of external standards, the, ex the illusion of limitations on unprincipled government action by establishing requirements that are themselves entirely at the discretion of the executive branch. The executive branch determines imminence. We don't mean literal imminence. The executive branch decides what is feasible. Uh, and that, I think, should be of extraordinary concern when it comes to the, you know, in, the, in a way, the most fundamental possible right uh, an American citizen can enjoy is the right not to be killed uh, on the basis of a secret determination that one is engaged in, uh, you know, in, in acts of, uh, of, of planning you know, horrific attacks. The federal government has for a long time used secret courts to make determinations about when uh, certain actions uh, may be taken by the government. What uh, does uh, Eric Holder have to say about uh, when these, this review process will be subjected to some sort of external check, something outside beyond the executive branch? In a way, what's most disturbing is that there's nothing here to suggest, one, that these principles are even exhaustive of the conditions under which lethal force can be exercised. So there may, there may be, or there's this other circumstance where we can do this, or there's, a, there's another circumstance right. strongly implied. We, we don't know if there are other conditions under which, different from these, under which uh, the president can order targeted killings. But also, you know, there's no suggestion that any review besides the thorough review we're assured occurs within the executive branch uh, would take place after the fact. Uh, this has been an open secret for a while that we use drones to carry out these kinds of targeted killings. But in principle, these are classified military actions. So the prospect that is laid before us, even though it's the case that Anwar al-Awlaki was known to be a target of the American government, uh, but the prospect before us is that an American citizen on suspicion of uh, complicity in planning uh, terror attacks could be killed in a way that is never acknowledged by the government, let alone reviewed even after the fact, cold consolation though it might provide uh, in, in circumstances where a mistake was made. Uh, you know, we know that in addition to Alaki, there was a separate attack in which uh, Alaki's 21-year-old son was killed. In the attack that killed Alaki, there was another American named Samir Khan who was killed. Uh, we have no guarantee that, frankly, we have a complete list of Americans who uh, have been 
killed in attacks like these. And certainly, we don't know what other Americans may be on future lists uh, and marked for death. Uh, that is not a structure that is complicit. That is not a scenario that is compatible with any conception of due process unless you render that term utterly meaningless. Julian Sanchez is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.